0: So I've been, um, just this week, um, well, for the last few weeks really, and probably if I'm honest for quite a while, they're talking about the the whole H2O thing, and for those of you who are visiting or maybe relatively new, the th- the kind of overarching theme that we've been sitting in with how we're looking at scripture and listening to God corporately as a as a people altogether, H2O um, stands for not just the chemical formula for water, but it stands for health, a hub, and outreach. And I've been thinking about the hub part of that quite a bit. It's kind of like I've been just ruminating on it. It's just been sitting kind of in my heart and in my mind a bit just through the week. So every now and then something will pop up and, and it'll, you know, I'll be talking to the Lord about what it is and what it means and what he's um, speaking to us about. The kind of things that come up in my heart are when I'm asking the Lord, what is it that you want us to do? What is it that you want us together to be in this community? And you know, one of the things that comes to mind is um, the preciousness, in a way, of a home. You know, as I've pondered all this, it, you know, the Lord just reminded me that all all our kids, all, and you know, we've got four children, and 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 they're getting married and family is extending and there are those who sort of we love to think of as children, they come into our home not by blood but by love and um, you know they've, they've given our house, it's just a house, it's tiles and bits of wood and bricks and you know some of it's looking a bit tight and some of it's cool but you know our kids have given it a nickname, they call it the family ranch. I'm feeling very stirred. It's actually very precious to my heart that they think of our house as the Dennis ranch. And and what that entails is when they come in, they instantly feel at home. They instantly know they belong. We had one of our honorary kids come stay with us for a couple of days during the week, Ray. He lives in Wollongong. He's got his own house now down there. And for those of you who know Ray, he's engaged. They're getting married at the end of the year. It's all very exciting. But Ray came and stayed with us and he made that comment, the moment I walk in here, I'm home. Very precious. Home is a place where good things happen. It's a place where we can be ourselves. It's a place where we know and I'm, in some sense, I'm talking ideally here, right? Because for some people, the house that they've lived in, and even with their own parents, has not been this. And so, but I'm talking about what God creates. Because he creates family. He calls us his children. You know, one of one of the pictures of what happens when we put our faith and trust in Jesus is we become God's children, and his home now is our home. And the place where God is, we have that sense of belonging and peace. And it's just right. Things are right when we're in that place. And you know, in a healthy, functioning church, as part of Christ's body, that is actually one of the powerful pictures of what we are called to be in our community, amongst whom many people actually never... Get to experience that in their natural day to day life. They experience brokenness, rejection, conditional acceptance, conditional love. They don't feel safe. They maybe have to guard their mouth in case I say the wrong thing and I get, you know, verbally abused or maybe even physically. But this is what God wants to create. So I've been thinking quite a bit about what that word hub means for us and I feel like there's a big part of it that is about creating the family ranch for us. You know, and, and it's right for us to ponder deeply what these things mean. You know, because a hub is it something that we have? You know, is it resources and property? Speakers and sound systems, and whatever it might be, throw cushions in the corner. (laughs) Is it the property? Is it resources? Is it something that we are? Is that actually something that we embody within ourselves? I certainly hope so. Um, You know, is it that we take on the nature of the Father who? welcomes his children home with open arms. That we actually get to embody that, aside from physical things, just who we are as a people. I certainly hope so. Is it something that we do? Is it defined by our actions and our behaviours rather than objects? Or is it maybe all of the above? In different ways, at different times, different contexts, we actually do get to embody these things. you know i 've been thinking quite a lot about the early church because so much of what church looks like on the outward appearance these days, um, to be honest, if you go searching for it in the New Testament. Some of it you just won't find. Does that make it wrong? Maybe not. One of the amazing things about reading through the New Testament and what Jesus it instilled, what he initiated, it's kind of like, you know, people ask the question, you know, fancy theologians in colleges in England and Germany and places like that asked the question, well, did Jesus actually create the church or was it Paul? Did Jesus mean for the church to come about or was it something that happened through the influence and engineering of others? It's a good question. Jesus only ever uses the word church, which for us is, well, no, sorry, he used the word ecclesia which for us is translated to church through various languages. <laughs> but he only used it once, you know. You're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Whether the, this is Peter or whether it's this is Jesus is up for debate. But, so I've thought a lot, been thinking a lot about these things and pondering it, because I've got to be honest, as, as this whole area of a hub for ministry for the church has ruminated in me, I, I find myself looking out for those yellow signs on buildings, you know, the ones that say for lease or for sale, or and, and it stirs my heart, stirs my mind, but not with assumptions, it's actually I, there's a lot of trepidation for me around all that. It's a big deal. One of the most destructive things in church life is handling property issues and the amount of money that's committed into it, and the amount of responsibility to to just to have it there. Honestly, life is simpler without. Yeah. Until, until there's something that you need that requires that kind of a resource. Then all of a sudden you start dreaming again, maybe. In all of this, I've just, in the last 24 hours, as I've been just bringing this back to God, I'm, okay, Lord, what is, what is your fresh word for us today what is your manner for us today the daily bread for us as your people and he brought me back to something that that we did back in 2019 and as I look around the room I can actually see why maybe God might be saying Dave remember this because I think probably many of you weren't here And so I just want to play this quick little video. It only goes for a minute, but we might run it through a couple of times. And this came from a season of prayer in the church. And we got people to write things down, what they felt God was saying. So that, having first listened to the Spirit's leading, we would then know how to pray. Yeah, you can play it, yeah. Can you all see it all right? Sorry, it's a bit side on for you guys. Praying the things that the Holy Spirit has spoken. Joy. Port Macquarie is called to be a city of joy. An oasis. Streams in the desert, living water flowing out, bringing life to all. Eagle's wings, seeing from heaven's perspective. Height gives clarity of vision for distant targets and the strategies to reach them. A hub. You can probably see it, pause it actually. Yeah. I back yeah. <laughs> I back yeah. Yeah, for distant targets. I, this caught my eye this time distant targets and strategy to reach them. Keep going. Okay, just pause it there. A hub, a centre of activity, creativity, worship and the arts, kingdom reality expressed, grief counselling, cafe, youth hangout. These were some of the dreams that were coming out. and, And the things that we picked out were typically things that more than one person had received from God. And so we're like, okay, we need to pay attention so we began to pray about these things, and none of these things have gone away. I know if I ask Caroline, she would totally agree. 100 percent. this has been on our heart for years now. The funny thing was, this was like at the end of 2019, and then what happened next year, following that? Everything all got the sniffles. Everything... <laughs> oh God, the sniffles. Everything got put on pause for a while, right? The world encountered something that it, at least for the vast majority it was totally unexpected. And God was at work in that. It didn't catch him off surprise, off guard, by surprise. You know what I'm trying to say. But it actually feels like all of that, this was left in a place where all we could really do about it was pray. And I would say my, personally, my faithfulness to that in prayer is probably mixed. (laughs) Mixed. I don't hold myself up as one of the world's great prayer warriors, but I do have this written in my Bible as something to keep coming back to. But these things, it's like, for me, it caused me to ask the question, are we on course? If this was God's leading for us, if it still is God's leading for us, are we still on course for this vision? What does it look like? What does it require? And you know, whenever I look at things like this, as I kind of alluded to just before, it actually, in me, it causes trepidation because there is a responsibility and accountability needed for this. And my first prayer is, Lord, help me to be and to become what you need me to be in this. For whatever my role is, to, to serve you in it and to see it come to fruition it's his vision i believe and we believe but because it's his vision for us well then it's our vision it's not our vision first and then he gets on board it's very much the other way around it's god's vision for what he wants and so we receive it yeah yeah And it does cause me to to reflect a lot around the area of property in the church. And we've kind of enjoyed being a bit nomadic for eight years now. It has its struggles, has its labors, um, you know, little things like having a PA system in your garage that you have to load into the car every Sunday afternoon and bring it on down and get a, build a team and set things up and setting up cafe. Beautiful, beautiful service for those, all those who contribute to all of this stuff. But, you know, you have to weigh up. Is it just my own laziness that then wants to have a a building? And, And the thing is, church is so much more than a Sunday afternoon gathering or a Sunday morning gathering. And when we look at this list, if you want to just pause it on that for a while and just leave that there for a bit. A lot of this stuff um, could perhaps exist totally without any property and things like that. But it caused me to go back to the New Testament and actually kind of examine. Because it's not a... It's not a manual that says, this is how you build a church. It's not like a formula that's like, you know, find a building this size, this shape with these things, and then stick up some banners and do this, do that, do that, and there you go, you'll have a church. It's actually far more organic, far more day-to-day life. It's an entirely different culture to that in which we live. Much as we like to imagine we're the same, I think we'd feel completely foreign and out of place in ancient Palestine or ancient Rome or Ephesus or any of those places. But it caused me to look at certain key things. And here's one that jumped out at me for us to, to think on today and to examine. From Acts chapter 4, in the, in the early church... Still in Jerusalem, hadn't really branched out yet. The spirit was moving, they were beginning to encounter conflict and opposition from the, the ruling religious authorities, and yet their heart was not, and their, their cry out to God was not for protection, it was for boldness and power, you know. Acts chapter four: "Lord, stretch out your hand, heal the sick and perform miraculous signs in the name of your holy servant Jesus. And the place was shaken. What I find amazing is what follows that. Let's read, shall we? I'm going to put my Bible. Acts four. Just towards the end, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them Notice, this is more than one person. This is numerous people. Brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He must have been a good guy to have around. He sold a field... He owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. I find that quite an extraordinary little passage to see what God was doing because what happened as the Spirit moved, as people were coming to faith and encountering God being set free from sin, set free from you know, demonic oppression and all those things, set free from religious spirit. It led to spontaneous acts of radical generosity. And when I think about what Barnabas did there, he sold a property. Let's, you know, let's, let's play that out in our scenario. Let's say, let's keep it modest. Someone's got a two-bedroom flat here in Port Macquarie. What would that be worth now? $500,000? It scares me to think someone could be led by the Spirit to sell something for $500,000 and come and put it at our feet. It scares me. What a frightening responsibility. And yet this is what God was doing. And they were then, obviously, had to steward that wisely. And yet this is what God does when he moves amongst his people. Spontaneous acts of radical generosity. Now that's, that's an extraordinary event and God still does those sorts of things and people still have that kind of radical obedience As he enables them. I mean, Barnabas is an interesting character if you follow his pathway through. Perhaps God was actually in this process setting him free from bondage to things because what did he end up doing? He was off on the mission field. But this was a while before that. So you see process in there. You see process for the apostles, even as they're like, they probably never pictured themselves having to deal with that. Like, whoa. What do we do? How do we govern this? How do we steward what God is doing? And the passage that follows is a well-positioned, cautionary tale of what happens when you respond wrongly. You know? That it's a whole... It helps me have a holy fear about stewarding well what God puts in our hands. You know, I won't go through that passage, but we're probably mostly pretty familiar with the story of Ananias and Sapphira and what happens when, you know, what could have been just a beautiful gift, could have been just an extraordinary act of generosity, but becomes tainted by greed and the desire to make a good impression or somehow impress people rather than God or like it's just weird it's, it's a scary story and one of those ones that you think man I don't get it I don't quite understand why it played out with two of them actually dying but certainly had the effect that the church then had a holy fear instilled in them about what God was doing and this new move of the Holy Spirit but it passage with with what God was doing in those acts of generosity sets a, a trajectory in the church because what do we find just a short time later in Acts chapter 6 we find as the church continues to grow so you can see there's need amongst them and it even hints at it because while it says um, in uh, verse 33, 34, one of them. There were no needy persons amongst them. Well, I think the reason was because as money came in, it was, what did we find in the next verse? Distributed to anyone who had need. There was no needy persons because their needs were being looked after. And so this trajectory then came about... If if we are to ask the question, what is the church to do? And and the doing needs to sort of underscore any of our decision making around what resources we need, it has to do with looking after the needy. So Acts chapter six, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. The Hellenistic Jews amongst them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. We actually see now what is happening is requiring organisation. It's requiring skill. It's requiring wisdom. Even the kind of wisdom that is a gift of the Holy Spirit, because they're full of the Spirit and wisdom. It's extraordinary. I mean, in one sense, you could look at it and go, wow, perhaps the 12 were trying to do it all themselves, and they actually weren't doing such a great job. Yeah? Because some people were being overlooked, and uh, maybe they weren't doing it, but maybe it was just one of these things that had grown to the point where it's like, oh, we didn't even realize this was a problem but they needed to put some resources into it. It actually makes me think if they've, you know, when we think that the apostles were now dedicated to this ministry of God, they weren't kind of going to their office during the day and coming back and being an apostle in the evening. This was 24-7. This was their life. And if it was such that for them it became a choice, well, gosh, do we put our time into that or do we do this? It actually says we had to employ some people to look after this. We had to get seven people who were skilled for this ministry role and cut them loose and actually back it. It's actually quite extraordinary when you unpack that, but it comes out of this first what the Spirit was doing in creating this radical generosity. Because coming off that, they were then able to steward it wisely into doing what needed doing. I actually feel like if you're looking for a distinctive pattern for the early church, you know, we could talk about a number of things, but one of the absolute core things in terms of the doing, because a lot of it, I think, was just day-to-day life, sharing the gospel with your neighbours and friends. It was people coming to hear about Jesus. It was seeing miracles and all those kinds of things. A lot of that was just... It didn't require a building. It was probably happening at this point in time. It was probably still happening in the temple. They had big areas around around the temple where you know they talk in a number of spots in um, the early chapters of Acts. They talk about Solomon's colonnade where they used to meet. It was it was one of these areas, and so it kind of became known. I think that that's where the Jesus followers hang out, and people would come to hear while everybody else is going about their normal temple business. So it didn't actually require any other property. But clearly, there's some big logistical things happening here. I mean, if you've got a food program that's potentially feeding hundreds of people every day, that's going to occupy some space, not just time and effort. It's going to have logistics attached to it. Someone's going out to buy food. Someone's actually keeping track of the money. It wasn't digital, <laughs> you know. It was physical. Um, so we see this extraordinary trajectory happening. But the thing is, it—I I really think it's a distinctive because what do we find as as Paul recounts his conversation with the apostles? We read about his his er, the early journey of Paul, his early years of development. From call into ministry in, in his letter to the Galatian church. and it's, it's quite a beautiful thing. It, actually it's very instructive, I think, when you read Galatians and you picture the the relationships between these people, these key figures in the early church. And what, one thing that we find in Galatians chapter 2 verse 9 and 10. As he's gone and spent time with the apostles to actually become known to them personally, have a personal connection because he knows Paul senses the calling of God on his life is so significant and he's like, I don't want to be rogue. I need to be known, I need to be accountable, I actually need to submit the revelations that I'm getting because he had extraordinary revelations. Quite apart from the apostles' teaching, he spent... Like several years in the Arabian desert working things through with Jesus, and then he spent like another, I think it's 14 years in the church in Antioch, just and just serving, just being one of the team. And and he gets to this point where the call of God on his life is so so powerful, he actually wants to go and be established in his relationship with the 12. Jerusalem. So he goes there and after spending time with them, he writes this. He says, James, Kephas, and John, those those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas. Oh, there's Barnabas. How cool. The right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They were like, we're firm. We had a God-empowered handshake. We know what we're about and we're in agreement. So cool. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. It's a mark of the church to remember the poor. There are many ministries around where obviously many churches take that so seriously. We've got, you know, the Four Life Food Pantry. There's, there's the Anglican Church have their soup kitchen and, and there's the Hope Community. There's, there's numerous things around town. The building that we're... Sitting and standing in right now is a movement that is known for their caring for the poor. It's a clear marker of Jesus' church. How, how often does Jesus talk about caring for the poor? If we're talking about water, H2O, he talks about how precious it is to give a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in need. And so, as we think about our hub and our H2O, we do need to ask the question, what is our pathway? What is our strategy into these things? And in one sense, I feel completely dependent on the Holy Spirit to transform our heart first. But I actually, I must say, I feel an imminence about it. I feel a sense of urgency about it. You know, if I'm to sort of put my leader hat on, last year, as we, as we came out of COVID and, and as we're kind of getting re established in our, our spiritual rhythms of, you know, attending a church gathering and going to small groups and doing these things that we just kind of stopped doing. You know last year, one of my things that was on my heart it was like ingrained if we don 't do this, I feel like we 're going to have missed an important something that 's important from the lord, and that was children 's ministry to to start what can we do what you know we don 't have the massive team we don 't have all the stuff, but we need to start we need to not miss this and I love the fact that now we have. Like twice a month, we have a vibrant group of kids coming along hearing about Jesus and learning who they are and their identity as His kids. I feel like, yes, thank you, Lord, that we didn't miss it. I feel the same kind of urgency about this now that this is something that we begin to embark upon, that we actually feel a sense of urgency about it. It's not a distant dream. I mean, that that screen that is the eagle vision, we needed that four and five years ago because God knows his timing and he wants us to be able to think. I've never been a great one for thinking in terms of five-year plans and where do you see yourself in ten years and all that. Ten years ago, this was not what I pictured. (laughs) Five years ago... Maybe, maybe this is about where I thought we might be. But we had a couple of years there where everything just kind of went on hold. Everything except our dreams and our vision for what was ahead. So in all of this, it's like being humble. And humble is good when it comes to stewarding what God wants to do and when he does it, not lose that humility and not be presumptuous. But neither do we want to be, you know, Jesus tells stories in a couple of places about servants who are entrusted with responsibility, you know, an amount of money, 10 talents, 5 talents, 1 talent. We don't want to be the one talent guy who's so scared that he does nothing. We actually want to be faithful. We want to be good stewards who actually put our hands to the plough and say, okay, Lord, this is what you've given us. Scary as it is, let's go. I'll share, you, I'll share with you briefly a few of the kinds of things that, that have gone through my head, and these are not plans. These are pipe dreams. They're blue sky a bit. Who knows um, blue cow gelato? Who loves it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That block from... You've got the cafe on the corner... Then, is it a Turkish restaurant? Oh, then Blue Cow, right. But from Blue Cow down to the water. That building, it's got a big room up above with, uh, it's a Pilates studio, I think. Had its roof ripped off when the tornado came through, sadly. That must have been awful for them. Last year that building came up for sale and I thought how awesome would it be as a church to be able to buy that. We could have our upper room 24-7 prayer or whatever we wanted to do. All the businesses below could benefit from being blessed with a Holy Spirit landlord. (laughs) It's blue sky dreaming, right? Because it would have been, I don't know, five or six million dollars. But my head goes there instantly. How good would that be? Imagine. Imagine well, what the... You because I was telling Colin where to go and where it is and I you what you going to do with the upper room. Well, anything and everything that we might dream as being a hub of creative, God-inspired activity and outreach in our community. Anything and everything. That was one thing. Then we're driving along Hastings River Drive and I notice, oh, the old bakery's gone, Ryan's Bakery. Weren't they good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've gone. And there's a for-lease sign on the outside of the building and I stick my head in the window and I'm like, that's huge in there. And... I'm looking online, how much do they want? What do they need what's the you know and at the first time I looked it was a shambles. the place was a tip because they'd ripped out all this big heavy machinery and I took Caroline back there and they'd refurbished all the inside. I was walking down the drive I go wow there's even parking like this is wild there's a there's a disabled parking spot at the front door They're, this is set up, but again it's it's it, it's kind of Blue Sky Dreaming. The, the lease on it's like 150000 a year or something. I, the ad's gone offline, so I don't know. Still got a sign on the door. But it's Blue Sky Dreaming. So, it's, that is for lease. Last week, again, I'm having a look online. There's a property just a couple of doors back from the bakery. used to be an aquatic plants or something. The building is for sale. It has a room about this size plus more. They want 800 and something thousand for it. Again, I'm just dreaming, but the do, what what are we to do must come first. First. The thing is, and here's what I see, here's what I see as I look at the pattern in in that New Testament and whether we should form a pattern for all churches for all time, maybe not, probably not. But what I see is God providing and then opening doors. There's opportunities. No doubt as the church grew, the need became obvious. I'm sure that there was a synergy with how the Spirit was speaking to people's hearts and how he was providing the resources to meet the need. So where are we at the moment? We need to be praying. We need to pray. I offer you all of this as the burden of my heart, as something that we've been carrying for a number of years. And we need to be in step with the Spirit. Not race ahead, not lag behind. But we need to pray. Pray for our city. That, because, you know, let's be honest, for a lot of Port Macquarie, there's a veneer of comfort. But we know the need runs deep. The need for God. The need for Christ. The need for salvation and forgiveness. The need for healing of brokenness. There's all the same broken homes broken marriages wounded people all the same abuse and drugs and all the stuff going on sometimes right under our noses sometimes a few streets away but it's all here and so we need to actually pray that god would open people's hearts to stir up their hunger to see God do something beautiful, something amazing. We need to pray for our part in God's plan. As I, as I shared, my, my prayer is, Lord, help me to be transformed into the person you need me to be and to not shrink back in fear. That's not who we are. We need to pray for wisdom and faith to act wisely with all that God entrusts us with. And already as a church, because we we live simply, you know, we're the kind of tiny home church or a little bit nomadic. God has actually entrusted us with something that I am looking to see. What what do you want us to do with it, Lord? How do you want to maybe grow that? Maybe that's the start and what comes next is the trajectory that you have us on, Lord. So I just offer that to you and just to ask that you join me, join us in praying about these things, in expectation of what God wants to do. Let's let's pray right now, shall we? And maybe we'll have a song if you guys want to jump up. Father God, we do pray for this city of Port Macquarie, for our region, Lord, and all our connections, our friends, our families, Lord. We pray for your gospel to actually go forth in power here, Lord. To be heard from our mouths, to be in our hands and feet, God. Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to be bold and to believe for amazing things, Lord. To see the manifestation of your presence in our city. Lord, I pray for each one of us, God, whatever part you want us to play, whatever our journey is right now, Lord, that you would help us to become the most whole, healed, faith-filled dynamic witnesses for you and people who are bold for you and people who know the power of your grace in our own lives Lord know the power of your spirit empowering us God come clothe us again with power from on high Lord and increase it in our lives God whatever measure that we have had before whatever we may have experienced Lord I pray you increase it grow our faith and stretch us Lord Just as you had to stretch the first disciples, the 12, Lord, as they were just so filled with your spirit that they are transformed from simple fishermen to powerful spokesmen who could stand before the religious geniuses of the land and talk about you and display your power Display the reality and the truth of your kingdom. And make us wise, Lord, each of us in all the things that you give us to steward, Lord. Lord, all our money, all our homes, our cars, our musical instruments, whatever it might be, Lord, our kitchens and our lounge rooms, Lord, for you sold out for your purpose lord would you make us a people who know what home is who carry it with us god and create it in your name who manifest the family of god here